we put a high emphasis on self-esteem, but research shows actually it's not self-esteem that's important. It's not even being confident that's important. It's mm-hmm. our ability in a moment where I said the wrong thing or I made a mistake or I took the wrong path to say to ourselves, you're still a good person. Maybe you're under a lot of stress right now. Yeah, maybe you didn't do this perfectly, but look at how you showed up. Look at how you Mm -hmm. tried. That ability to offer compassion to yourself is more important than your self-esteem. So I would say, don't even focus on self-esteem. Welcome to Rise and Lead. I'm Benjamin Lundquist, and this podcast is all about personal growth and leadership. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our Rise and Lead community. We are a community of leaders who are passionate about growth, leadership, and expanding our impact on the world. On this episode, I'll be talking to authors, Dr. Heather Thompson Day and Seth Day, about their new book called I'll see you tomorrow, building relational resilience when you want to quit. Dr. Heather Thompson Day is an interdenominational speaker and has been a contributor for Religion News Service, Christianity Today, Newsweek, and The Barna Group. She is also a professor of communications at Andrews University. She is a friend of the Rise and Lead podcast, and her husband, Seth, is a pastor and a dynamic ministry leader. Together, we talk about how we need to keep showing up for one another, even when we feel like walking away, the power of knowing your worth and your value, and the call to maximize every opportunity in front of us. Get ready for a great conversation. The Rise and Lead podcast is designed specifically to motivate and equip you to live your greatest life with maximum impact. We are going to find out what makes great leaders great and how you can start growing yourself, rise, expanding your impact, lead, and living the life you have been created to live. If you are new to the podcast, thanks for listening. I know your time is valuable. I always suggest that people go back and listen to episode number one, The Rise and Lead Foundation, so you can learn more about my story and about the five foundational pillars that make up the Rise and Lead podcast. I want to personally invite you to be a Rise and Lead partner in spreading the word about this podcast and all the episodes that will follow so together we can reach more people. Currently, the podcast is being downloaded in over 125 countries, and that's because of your support. Your input, ratings, reviews, and shares help our team to continue creating a better podcast to serve great leaders like you. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can get all the episodes that release each month. Rate the podcast. I'm always going for a five-star rating. If you think Rise and Lead deserves five stars, I would greatly appreciate that. Leave a written review if you haven't done so already. Your reviews, they make a big difference. And finally, share about Rise and Lead with your family, your friends, and your social media network. Screenshot this episode 
with Dr. Heather Thompson Day and Seth Day and send it to somebody or text someone the episode link. You are helping people rise to their next level by connecting them to an episode. And when you share about the podcast as an Instagram or social media story, make sure you tag me and I will always try and give you a repost. I like to start each episode with prayer, so let's pray together. God, there are leaders listening to this episode who are tired, exhausted, stretched thin, and they even may be contemplating giving up, walking away from their platform of influence. God, use this episode to encourage and empower them to get up every day, to rise back up if they have fallen down, and to take their next step forward. In your name we pray, amen. Let's jump into my conversation with Dr. Heather Thompson Day and Seth Day about their new book called, I'll See You Tomorrow, Building Relational Resilience When You Want to Quit. I have spent the last decade, over a decade of my life, studying communication. And communication is essentially the study of relationship building. And so I came to Seth, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And I said, I really, I want to write a book about relationships because it's just the number one thing that I'm seeing my young people on college campuses really struggle with. And there's so much, we're wired to be in relationship with other people. This is true of both evolutionary biology and Christianity. You are literally down to your biology. You are wired to exist in relationship with other people. And so I was telling Seth, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to help people understand how to have healthier, better relationships. And Seth said, if only it were that easy, because it's not. Yeah. And so I, as I was listening to him and he was like, Heather, it's not that people don't value relationships or want it. Mm-hmm. It's that we have all these things in our past that can impact or just things within ourselves that True. can impact our ability to extend ourselves into the vulnerability of a relationship again. And so as I was listening to him, I just knew I wanted him to write this book, book with me. And so we pitched it to our publisher and they were on board. And so the book is really our two perspectives of why relationships are incredibly important and why we have to keep fighting for them, but also why they are so difficult. What were you seeing happen in relationships, whether it was people not having resilience, people giving up too early, people not being willing to fight for relationships that really mattered, but what were some of those relational trends that you were seeing? Three out of five people, the National Safety Council put out a study in January of 2022. Three out of five people in the United States are exhausted. Mm -hmm. They say, I feel more exhausted today Mm -hmm. than I have ever felt my entire life. So it's not, I personally don't think it's a matter. I think it's an oversimplification to say, oh, we're just not fighting for each other anymore. I think what's the reality is the world and our lives, we're fighting against so much. And so the tendency is to say, the easiest thing for me to do is just block or mute or cut or delete, or sit on my couch and watch five hours of Love is Blind on Netflix. Like mm-hmm. that feels easier, right? Than having to engage with my own family. 
And my concern as somebody who has studied relationship for the last decade is that the very thing we think is going to suck our energy by being in relationship is actually the very thing that will give you energy. You will have more energy to deal with your life and your job when you go to dinner with your friends after work. You think that it's going to be easier to go home. It's actually going to give you more energy the next day to take the hour and a half and go to dinner. And Ben, we have actually, since we've written this book, have tried to put some of the things, so we're not just writing them like very recently into practice in our lives with the relationships with the people on this campus. And we're like, oh, it actually is true. We're not just reading the research on this and talking about this in our book. How can we now implement this at a deeper level in our own lives? And to add to that, I just want to say, I think that people get, and rightly so, is the risk worth the reward? For someone who has been deeply hurt, because there are spaces that I honestly, like, I don't have the right to tell someone you have to, like we, Heather has the evidence. She's going to point you towards the research, but it is risky. It is risky. And so I do think like Heather has some fantastic stuff in one of the chapters that I wrote. She had a little portion on friendship rules and all these things like, how do we re-engage after we've been hurt, after Mm -hmm. we've kind of backed away, understanding now, wait a minute, I do need relationship, but there is a risk because I've been burned really bad in the past. How do I move forward? Understand there's always going to still be a risk. And so as Heather said, the very thing that hurt us is also the very thing that brings us out as well. Relationships. So Mm -hmm. that's what it's about. First, if I was to say these words, I have children, stranger, what? Danger. So from a very young age, we are taught not everyone is safe. Be careful who you go around and rightly so. I'm not denying that. But also, I think also we don't have to say it. You know the statistics. I don't have the exact number, but we know that most people leave the church setting not because of doctrine, but because of relational hurt. That's something they experience. They're not just told that. They experience that for themselves. So I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, I think I tell a lot of personal narrative in this, in the book, and especially in the first few chapters, just to build the credibility throughout it for someone who who may be thinking, well, why is he writing this book? I understand Heather has this PhD in communication coming from the pastoral perspective, but I share some of my personal stories, particularly at a young age, as we were just talking about, with how those early childhood experiences do affect us. One of those is growing up, had a huge father wound in my life. And that has carried with me throughout, uh, man. So I'm 35 and I'm now just in counseling for the first time in my life, put it that way. And it has been so healing to have someone be able to articulate or even just validate because the only person I tend to disclose things to is my wife. And so to hear that from another perspective or to call me out on certain things has been very good. So I would, first, I just want to encourage anyone. I think we, we get that message across in the book. If you're hurt and you're seeking to look for a way to get to a better place of, of making new relationships, and this book is a tool, I encourage you to, to reach out for that type of help as well. But my father wound at a young age really impacted me. It was something that I need, and, and I'm sure there's many men and women who have a parent wound of some sort, knowing statistics on divorce and absent dads and, and those kind of things. We go through that in the book. When my father wasn't the role model that I wished, and even I would say 
even more than being a role model, just having his physical presence is what I needed the most. So I wasn't even asking for perfection. One of the things I talk about in the book is at 11 years old, my father, because that was the those were the only tools in his bag of, of how to be a father, because that's what his father had shown him and his father shown him. So he had called me into the garage and I was, I was visiting him on a visitation and I really wanted his attention. And for, so for like my 11th birthday, I sat in the garage with him as he got high. And then he started to put cigarettes in my mouth one by one and light them. And it became our little secret. While my brothers were inside playing video games, I would go and hang out in the garage with my dad while he got high and we bonded. And so someone might look at that and rightly so and go, oh man, that is really horrible. And it is. But for me as an 11-year-old and now looking back as an adult, that was one of the times, as crazy as it sounds, that I have never felt more loved by my father. And Mm -hmm. that sounds very dysfunctional. But what I realized was that I had to enter into his world in order to gain his affection. And so for a very young age, it has taught me... order to reach the affection of others, I must constantly go to where they are. And so it's something that's been very healing for me is reading the gospel and finding out that Jesus has come here to meet me where I am in my life. So yeah, Heather, I don't know if you have any thoughts you want to share on that. Yeah. So one of the things we talk about is I really think so many of us are actually doing the best we can with the tools we have. Sure. And so my, our hope with this book is just to give people better tools to engage in the relationships that they're experiencing. A lot of what we learn in communication is that when it comes to relationships, it's this thing called unmet expectations. And most of the time, and I'm telling you, I just had a conversation with my students yesterday where they're saying, oh, I'll just let things build up and build up and build up. And then I'll just cut you off. They're like, I'll never have a conversation and say, this was the expectation that it felt like you weren't meeting. And this is why now I'm making this choice. And I think what we do is we say, well, if I have to teach you how to be a friend to me or teach you how to be good to me, then it's not worth the relationship. And I would say, if you aren't willing to teach people how to treat you, it might be because you think you're not worth it. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, we have to decide what we're worth and be willing to explain the expectation to the people around us. And I'm at a place, I'm sure you too, Ben, like I think anybody who works in ministry, I know Seth would feel this way as well. I've experienced some of the most painful unmet relationship expectations in my ministry, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's so hard to believe that people who are Christians or serving God would treat me the way that they've treated me. But however... The only way I can survive my life or Seth could have survived pastoring, or I'm sure you can survive your ministry is through the community that I've built of the people who I know love me. And I know that I belong here. That's the only way I survive the threats in the outside world. And so I think sometimes the reaction that we take to the experiences that we have is to self-isolate because we think, well, this is what's going to protect me. But what actually protects us is to further invest in relationships and people that we trust. It is Maslow's hierarchy of need is literally food, water, safety. We have to feel safe in order to even be contributing members of our churches or our office places or our jobs. People who have a best friend at work are seven times more likely to be engaged at their jobs, seven times. They submit higher quality work. So I just did a 
seminar on remote work for an organization that had gone fully remote. And I was telling them one of the best investments you can do is to provide lunch to your workers. Mm-hmm. Truly, like studies show that people who eat lunch together are more invested in their company and organization. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have to replace those workers as much simply because you once a month paid for lunch. Right. So what are the things we can do in our own lives to start investing in the resources and the people that are available to us and trying to foster this sense of safety within ourselves? People aren't looking for perfection. They're looking for presence. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks so loudly and just speaks volumes to you have to be a leader who is present and you have Mm -hmm. to be with your people. Every effective leader influencer that I know and have even watched and observed from afar, they are with their people. And so I think that's such an important principle that if we get hung up on perfection at the sacrifice of presence, we will Mm. cripple our influence. Mm -hmm. And so just being willing to accept that you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be present. For that 11-year-old and that mind frame, like, man, that's what I felt like I was receiving in that moment. And Absolutely. that impacted me to this day. I still, it's like one of the memories when I think about my father where we bonded, which is weird. So yeah, absolutely. How does somebody begin that process to just recognize that they are worthy and valuable already? In that moment, when I'm looking in the mirror and I'm saying, man, I'm not worthy of X, Y, and Z, or I don't like the way I look, or I don't like the way X, Add it to the list. Our ability to offer ourselves self-compassion is actually more important than our self-esteem. We put a high in our culture, a high emphasis on self-esteem, but research shows actually it's not self-esteem that's important. It's not even being confident that's important. It's our ability in a moment where I said the wrong thing or I made a mistake or I took the wrong path to say to ourselves, you're still a good person. Maybe you're under a lot of stress right now. Yeah, maybe you didn't do this perfectly, but look at how you showed up. Look at how you Mm -hmm. tried. That ability to offer compassion to yourself is more important than your self-esteem. So I would say, don't even focus on Mm self-esteem. Focus on when I'm looking in the mirror, having the words to interrupt that negative self-talk that starts happening and offer myself compassion. And I always say to my students, if your friend talked to you the way you talk to yourself, would you be friends with them? 90% of them are like, absolutely not. Blocked, mute, delete. And yet we think it's okay to continue on in these dialogues sort of stuff. We have got to train our brain and it's going to feel funny, but you have to train your brain when you're in that moment to respond. Because your brain, this is a whole other thing, but your brain can't distinguish the difference between fact or fantasy. So once you say things to your brain, your brain never knows you're being dramatic. Your brain treats everything that you say to it as if it's a real threat. Right. So we have to learn how to respond to give our brain that peace and that safety that it can stand on with something of self compassion. Seth, do you want to add to that? Yeah. So Kristen Neff writes on self compassion. And one of the things that she, three facets of it, one of them that sticks out in my mind is that we are all sharing this experience called common humanity or the shared experience here. And what that means is we are all, as Heather said, going to at some level experience 
suffering and understanding that we're, this is something everyone is going to go through. And what happens is Heather was saying is we tend to isolate ourselves when we go through it, whether it's the actions of others or the actions of ourselves, we tend to pull back and then there creates the sense of I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And then that affects everything else. So staying in community is very important. So we're not just living with our own voice inside of our head. I want to add to that by saying this personal experience. I'll say something else too. So I failed out of college three times. And this is when Heather said, in the moment, you said something about in the moment. And I desperately, Ben, wanted to go back to school. So I had failed out largely to grief and some other things that were going on in my life. And I just felt like I couldn't do it. And we had our daughter, London, and I was like, I really want to go back to school. I felt this call to go back and get my bachelor's degree in religion. And I really wanted to do this. And so... I thought, man, after three times of failing out, there's no way I can do this. And here's the thing, rightly so. I had some really close people in my life saying, Seth, maybe college just isn't for you. Trying to support me maybe in a different route in life because I maybe I was very handy. Maybe I could go do something, you know, some carpentry work. I had a, come from a long line of tradesmen. Fantastic if that's what your calling in life is. I'm just saying for me, I really wanted to go back to school and I wanted to know that I could do this. And so when I met Heather, here's the thing. I was faced with that in the moment decision. When I went back to school, I said, Heather, I I want to go back to school. I know this is going to sound crazy. I don't remember. We were watching something on TV and something triggered. And I was working as a carpenter at the time. And I don't even know if you remember this, Heather, in the room of our- London was watching Handy Manny. Handy Manny, a kid. He said, show. He said <laughs> put your silly. tools away. It said, said, put your tools away. Put your tools away. And I felt already that desire in this little kid show. And I'm looking at my <laughs> daughter on the couch, and it was already the feelings I felt like God was telling me. And mm-hmm. I just felt like it's time. And, and then Heather's looked at me, and here it is in the moment. She said, Seth, I believe in you. And here's the thing. Now that I'm a little more educated, one of the ways that we build self-efficacy, according to Tim Bandura, is we start from a place of success. I didn't just start by going back to school full-time, 21 credits. I started one class at a time while Mm -hmm. I still had my job. I -hmm. built up my confidence and I passed that first class. And then another way we do that is through vicarious modeling. I would listen to speakers like Jose Rojas come mm-hmm. into a chapel at Andrews University and how he was this yep. one point, whatever GPA. And now he's working at the White House and he's giving. And I was looking, I want that testimony too. And so all of a sudden, this sense of, I want this to be my story. And so I started from a place of success. Very important if you, your podcast on leadership, you must start from a place of success, whether it's for you or you're giving your workers a task, they must be able to achieve success to, in order mm-hmm. to to something bigger. They fell from the start, no good. So as I began to build my self-efficacy, my sense of I can do this, I am capable, I have the skills, I went then to a full-time student and then to uh, 21 credits from 12 credits to 16 to 21 credits in doing great in all my classes in Hebrew and all this stuff. And then I was graduated and it felt like a year and a half because I was doing so many credits. But Ben, when I first started with that one class, I opened the computer, I couldn't write a sentence. Yep. I close the computer probably 50 times in tears saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. What did I do? And I had to live in that moment. As Heather said, I believe in you. Was I going to live in that same voice, Seth? Or for the first time, this is why we need relationship. 
Am I going to listen to something else? And for me, it was Heather's voice in my life. That's why we have to speak life and encouragement. I wouldn't be here if she didn't believe in me. True story. Sorry, got a little excited there. (laughs) Dreams are planted in your heart for a reason, that Mm -hmm. your current situation Mm -hmm. is not your final destination. Yes. And I think just the guiding principle of don't go at it alone. Mm-hmm. And for some yes. people, you do have to go at it alone because you may not have somebody in that moment, but don't go at it alone for long. And the power of being in community. And I just resonate with that so much. I, uh, anyway, this is not about my story. We want to hear the, it. I, share it, share I, it. I missed yeah. a high school basketball championship where my team ended up winning state and I didn't participate because I failed an English class in mm-hmm. high school and was ineligible. I went to college and failed a freshman English class. It is those moments that matter. And it's the moment of saying, I'm not going to allow this lie that I am speaking over myself yes. to steal and take another moment hostage. Yes. Yes. And I think we... We just kind of discount that, that I'm saying something to the person in the mirror and it's no big deal. It is a big deal. And if you allow moments to be taken hostage again and again and again, you are going to lose out potentially on seasons, chapters, and assignments of your life. We have to own the moments that we are in with truth. And we got to speak truth into our own life. We have to step into the lives of other people and call out things in them in love that are not true and be willing to replace lies with truth. And it seems like in the example you gave Seth, that's what Heather did. You were Mm -hmm. speaking something over your life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you felt it in the moment that just wasn't true. I can't accomplish this. I'm not capable Heather and uh, Handy Manny. I want to give Handy Manny (laughs) a huge. I just thought when you said that, that Handy Manny spoke to you from the screen. (laughs) We've never told that story before. Put your tools away. What I thought was prophetic. Like Handy Manny (laughs) is a prophet in the moment. There may be a time when you use different tools that have been put inside you since birth that you never knew were even there. What are some of those key phrases, or maybe it's unique to every moment, but what are some things that people need to be going back to Mm. and telling themselves every day? Yeah. So if anybody read my last book, It's Not Your Turn, I purposely name books phrases that I say. And so this book, I'll See You Tomorrow, is a phrase that I want people to be able to say in their life, just like people tell me that when something... I just had a girl last weekend that said she was supposed to get some graduate assistantship and she didn't get it. And she said, and I just looked at myself and I said, it's not your turn. But that doesn't mean your turn's not going to come. I'm like, yes, I want you to remember these things. They're sticky phrases. So for I'll See You Tomorrow, where it came from was we were watching The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary series. And yep. Before the Bulls became the Bulls, they make it to the playoffs. And so they're facing Orlando Magic. I think this was the first time they'd even made it to a playoffs. And they're as this team, right? And they're facing Orlando Magic and they lose. And so the season's over and everyone's totally devastated. They're going to leave because you're done for the season. And so they all start walking out. And Tim Grover, who is Michael Jordan's trainer, says that as everyone's walking out, he turns to Michael Jordan and he says, hey man, just let me know when I'll see you. 
meaning the season's over. Let me take a couple months, relax, and then let me know when I'll see you back in the gym. And, and Jordan turns to him and he goes, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. And so the idea is that the reason Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan is because when everybody else went home, Michael Jordan always said, I'll see you tomorrow. And so Seth and I were thinking in a time where we are getting really good, important advice on how to leave and about boundaries and about not letting people cross over you. And I think that's all good. But my concern always is from as somebody who works every single day with young people, my, I have a legitimate concern that we are raising an entire generation that knows how to leave, but mm-hmm. doesn't know how to stay. Mm. And the reality is you don't get to have friendships that span decades if you don't know how to stay. If you don't know how to turn to somebody and say, I am so frustrated with you right now. I totally disagree with what you've just said. Or you've hurt me, but I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to take a second. I'm going to step back from the situation. I'm going to think things through, but I'll see you tomorrow because I'm committed to you as a person. I'm committed to the relationship. And so Seth, will you tell them real quick about infinite games and finite games that go so well with this concept? So in the book, man, reflecting over my life, something that my mother taught me in chapter two I was just telling the story for the first time of how she decided to leave my father because she had spent one year at a Christian academy called GLA in Michigan. And she had an experience with Christ her sophomore year. And that was it. And then when she had us three boys, and then she was a very young mother, something inside of her said, I want, I want, I want that for my sons, for my young children that I'm raising. And Unfortunately, my father didn't seem that that was a place in his life where he wanted to be on that same type of journey. And so she decided to leave him and to embark on this journey of going back to school to actually become a teacher as a single mother. And then she ended up down here to Andrews University to finish her education. Amazing story. The day that my mother decided to leave my father as he was clinging literally to the hood of the car. And she backs out of that driveway and she's saying, get off the hood of the car. And she just puts it and he doesn't move. And she slowly moves forward and he rolls off and that's it. She was heading to church. Here's what I want people to understand. This book is not just a feel good. We're not throwing your experience and your pain aside. You can take that with you. Mm. You can take that with you on this journey to become someone better. You can't negate those experiences in your life. And so for my mother, as a young mother, I wish I could tell you that life became easier, that all of a sudden, all of these amazing miracles, money fell out of heaven and, (laughs) you know, all of these fantastic things just happened. And and we were given this big house and and life just got so easy because she decided to follow what she thought was going to be a better path for her life and for her sons, but it wasn't. Actually, it became less ideal. We had less money. There was only one parent. We had to move into government housing. We had to rely on family members more. And then when she moved four hours away to continue her education, we had no family support. And that became even harder. I remember one of the stories I share is every Friday, we would pull back around the school of Ruth Murdoch, where we were going to school. And we knew by at clockwork, about an hour after everyone left, we'd pull the car back around with my mother and us three boys would jump out. 
And one of the workers there would bring out to the car on a tray all of the leftover food for the week. And we would load it into the car because my mother was helping us in a few different roles at the school at the time to make some extra money as we were going to school there. And she was, she was continuing her education. And we knew that's how we survived. And all week, the next week, we'd live on all that extra leftover food. That would Listen, that wasn't ideal. In fact, I'm sure there are moments that my mother felt quite embarrassed that she had to, in order to survive for her and her kids during that season. And I want to say that season of her life. Don't miss that. That's not the end of her story, but it was a season of her life. She had to do not what was ideal, but what was possible. I think that so many of us, I have sat in the unperfect places of my life, the low self-esteem, the negative self-talk, the unideal things of life to consume me, that I forgot to still reach and search and do what was possible. Listen, it's in our weakness, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 12, 9, one of my favorite scriptures. It's in our weakness that he is made strong. That is how Christ lives through us and he is most glorified. He does not ask us to live these ideal, perfect lives. He asks us as Christians in our brokenness to do what's possible. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that that's one of the things with this phrase, I'll see you tomorrow, is that people learn to do what's possible because we're living on a planet that is so broken. Every just turn the news on. You'll see nothing's ideal. But what can we do with what is still possible, what's still in our hands? And my mother exemplified. And I want to tell you, because I said that was a season of her life. My mother went from being a teacher to then becoming a superintendent of a conference to being another superintendent of a conference. And now she just became the associate director for our conference of the Lake Union Conference of Education. So now she's over all of the superintendents for all of these schools because she chose to do what was possible in that season of her life. So I just want to, I hope that people do find hope through reading this book and reading some of the stories in this. The Infinite in the Finite Games, Simon Sinek, best-selling author, talks about this concept and he says, the infinite thing, you take business, for example, he talks about this. He said, you have finite and infinite. So you have Amazon and you have Apple and you have Microsoft, these different businesses that are competing against one another. But here's the thing. There's a season like Jordan where sometimes they're on top, the bulls are on top, or these businesses are on top. Then the next season, they might not be on top. And when they're not on top, do we see Apple or Microsoft shutting down because they weren't having the highest sales goals that season? They'll say, oh, we're not number one. We're going to quit. No, because they look at the game of business, not through a finite lens, through a single season, but rather, as Cynic says, through this infinite thing, this infinite game, that even though a season may come and pass, they may be on top or they may lose, the infinite game of business or the infinite thing, not a season of basketball, but the game of basketball is going to continue season after season after season. And so for us in our lives... When that applies to us as Christians and what we're going through, if we take that and apply it, and that is powerful to understand that we're not called to win every single season of our life. We are called to keep perpetuating the game. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, we are here and we are alive. Listen, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Jacob, Paul, the disciples all had their season and they Mm -hmm. played that season, but larger, the infinite game of Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. 
They played the infinite game. There's new players that are now emerging. In other words, the infinite game of Christianity is going to keep going on. And we are all alive for some reason at this point in time. And the championship has already been won. Christ did that, right? That he salvation has been attained. It's all of ours. All he's asking us to do is to get back up and to get into the game. That is how we play as infinite players. Focus in your season and assignment on what is possible Mm -hmm. and re-engage with the game. Mm -hmm. Continue showing up. My ultimate hope would be that people just start being faithful with what's in their hand. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? It doesn't always have to be looking for this entirely different relationship, but who are the people that you've lost touch with since the pandemic that you used to be pretty close with? And all of a sudden, you know, there was just strain and it's been hard. And so you kind of distanced yourself. I would love to see people just be faithful to what's already in their hand, who's already at their office spaces, the students that are already in their classroom, the people that are already in your church. How do we start showing up in those spaces. And I'll say this, we are supposed to literally be image bearers of God. Mm -hmm. And my concern is that we don't recognize that anymore. And everybody's waiting for God to do something, but God Mm -hmm. has always been invisible because he chooses to be seen in his people. And so how do we start actually looking like the image of God in the places where we already are? And the law of the few says, actually, Anybody in an organization will will get this, but 80% of crime, the law of the few, 80% of crime is done by 20% of criminals. Mm-hmm. And 80% of work in any, in any given organization is actually only done by 20% of employees. So we don't need a mass revival of millions of people. We truly just need a few of us to start believing that our lives matter and start showing up to them as if it's true. Recognize the worth and value that you have. Mm -hmm. Own the moments that are in front of you. Do not allow yourself to speak lies over yourself that simply are not true. Steward well your own voice as you speak into your life and take responsibility for the people around you when it comes to speaking truth over their life as well and remind them of the things in them that they often can't see. We often have this fog and we can't see our own potential worth and value. So take responsibility for the people around you. What is in your hand? Who are those within your sphere of influence that you need to reconnect with? You need to start speaking life over and you need to help them come alive again to the worth, value, and potential that God has already put inside of it. We're not adding to anybody's worth and value. We're just awakening the worth and value that's mm, already right. there. Start your day from the worth and value that you already have. Like mm-hmm. start your day from that as a foundational truth that you are already worthy and you are already valuable And instead of being so good at canceling relationships, let's be known for being so good at leaning into relationships, even the ones that are difficult. And Heather, you said this in the very beginning, that often it's so easy to cut off what potentially can be the most life-giving for us. We are created to be in community. Like we, is that, is that a fair statement? We need each other. We need each other. 
where do people connect with the book and how do people connect with you? Yeah. So you can get the book anywhere books are sold. It's available. And my website is heatherthompsonday.com to reach out to me. If you haven't read uh, Heather Thompson Day's book, It's Not Your Turn, fantastic. And I've got a podcast episode on that. So if you have been blessed by this conversation, I would highly recommend go back and listen to the second of the three episodes that Heather and I have have done together for Rise and Lead. But go back and listen to the episode where we talk about It's Not Your Turn. I want to end by just saying I love you both so much. I am incredibly blessed by your friendship. Thank you so much for being shining lights to the world. And just know that you are making an incredible difference in the lives of so many people. Thank Thank you you so so much, Ben, for having us. I hope this episode impacted and inspired you. Send me a DM and let me know. I read every message that comes in. Make sure you screenshot this episode, share it with someone, and post it to your social media accounts. Don't forget to tag me so I can give you a repost. I know there is someone who you know who needs to hear this episode. Thank you for sharing, subscribing, and rating the podcast. Seriously, that means the world to me. Look for new episodes to drop every month. You won't want to miss those. Thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself. You are worth it. Remember, the best time to rise and lead is now.